Welcome to Jay's Talk across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Also streaming on Sportsnet.ca and the Sportsnet app. Show Ali with you for the next eh, 15, 20 minutes after a 10-3 Blue Jays loss to the Yankees at George M. Steinbrenner Field in Tampa. You can give me a call if you like. Doesn't have to be about this game. Can be about anything you like. 416-870-0590. 590 Star 590 on your cell. You can also reach me, as always, on the People's Text Line. 590-590, name and location. I only ask for your name and location uh, so I can give you a bit of a shout-out. I see here on the text line... A lot of texts, well, maybe not a lot, but just a fair a fair amount of texts that at least in some way, shape, or form mention Drew Hutchison and Thomas Hatch. So let's just let's just do the Hutchison stuff and the Hatch stuff really quickly, and then we'll go to the phone lines. Hutchison got behind in the count early and often to like basically every hitter he saw. I think he only got one out before he was lifted, right? He gives up the solo bomb to LeMayhew. The three-run shot to Josh Donaldson. He walks a bunch of guys. Like I don't think, ultimately, this particular game necessarily changed a lot of things with the plans for Hutch. Like Generally speaking, right? Because we all knew he wasn't exactly going to be even, what, like medium leverage situations. The best case scenario for Hutchinson this year is likely in, like, I mean the best case scenario, right? It's probably in the mop-up role or honestly, more likely depth in the minors. Like I can really only see him as, and we've talked about this before to a certain degree, but really as let's say like the extra man on double header days or a call up in case of injury. Certainly like I know what no one wants to hear about. We get a lot of texts about this guy too, Trent Thornton. I know no one wants to hear about him for the millionth time, but I guess those are the kinds of roles that are still sort of kind of available on this team right now. Like the bullpen is largely set. Certainly the position players, that's a whole other conversation, but just as far as pitchers go, most things are set, right? So I would imagine on days where they just need some depth uh, is where I can see the Hutchison's, the Thornton's, the hatches of the world coming in and providing some relief, I guess for the relievers. I can't imagine any of us want to see, I'm sure there will be times where we're all kind of going, huh? why they're doing this right none of us want to see jordan romano or, or jimmy garcia or, or eric swanson or any of these guys in action and and let's say like massive massive wins or losses barring romano not having pitched in like four days and they just need to get him some work in an inning like but beyond that i think you want to see the the hutches of the world go out there and uh and and play so maybe those spots in the margins will be Hutch- where hutchinson and others will try and carve out a small role i'll say for hatch at least he did actually see some more action today. And in his first inning, let's see, Peraza crushes a solo bomb. Uh, he issues a walk to Carlos Norvaez. DJ Lament, who gets a single that doesn't score a run. And then Stanton gets struck out. And uh, the second time he came up, Rizzo, Donaldson, Calhoun all got retired. So, I, you know, I honestly would rather see Hatch get a shot in those low leverage spots than Hutchison at this point. Like, it's nothing against Oh, Drew, we probably all have a handful of uh, fond memories from him from like the mid-2010s, right? But even though we, we probably know what Hatch is at this point, I'd still rather give him a chance at age 28 than Hutchison at 32, which now that I say it out loud is not a huge age difference. So maybe it's like six of one and half a dozen of the other, if you know what I mean. So I, again, these are, these are like uh, a lot of the, I guess we'll wait and see type of answers you get when you ask these kind of questions to John Schneider. And unsurprisingly so, because they're not exactly going to be factoring in uh, to a massive degree, as far as the uh, as far as the bullpen goes, and and so on and so forth. Uh, let's go to the phone lines four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety one triple eight triple six zero five ninety star five ninety on your cell. Uh, Eddie calling in from Fort Erie. Uh, Eddie, welcome back to Jay's Talk. 
Thank you, Show. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Uh, look, Eddie, last time we, we spoke, I think it was, I want to say it was the week, like maybe right before uh, the Canada-Great Britain game, which was like the game that was never going to end, it seemed. But at least Canada did mm-hmm. win that game. And I know you were very, uh, you were very uh, in favor of Otto Lopez. Has that, has that changed uh, more in favor after today? Well, I, you know, it's funny you mention that because I wanted to relive that because when I first called, as you said, I wanted, I was, what, I was thinking to myself, I hope he has enough of those uh, hits and those runs to drive in for a big game. And by God, that's exactly what he did today. And I'll tell you what, show, he may be uh, needed, you know, a lot more uh, tomorrow. Not not just him, but also all the other guys because we don't know about Freddie Freeman. You know, is he gonna play? Is he not gonna play? You know what I mean? Because there's so much going on, but. But it was great that Lopez did, you know, what, what what we all thought he could do in spring training, and he carried it over to the WBC and came up with those big, with those two big hits today. Now, one other thing I wanted to mention from that game show, Noah, uh, sorry, how, how do you say his name? Scarrow or yeah, whatever Scarrow, his name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That pitching performance had me thinking flashbacks of Marco Estrada in 2015. Uh, ALCS because that in game four, the pitching staff, the bullpen was like completely taxed so much. So they have to bring in Cliff Pennington uh, to, to finish it up. And when when I saw the first uh, two games that they went through everybody, including like Adam Lowen, you know, it was great what he did, but having, having him go, but having um, Noah go past the first inning, I was like, wow, this is going to be great. And he, and he kept going and going and going. I just had, uh, uh, that that flashback. It was such a great outing, and I cannot wait for tomorrow. I mean that. Th- I mean it's just going to be amazing. And they didn't have to use Matt Brash today either, so that works even more better for Canada tomorrow. Yeah, Eddie, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks for calling into Jay's talk. That was it's it's an absolutely fantastic point. The no the Skiro stuff, first of all, that well went as well as it possibly could have for Skiro. There's no no doubt that Eddie is correct about that. He absolutely. I, he he dominated, I think. For like all all things considered, considering we have seen so many pitchers that we all think are very very good, kind of I don't want to say necessarily get shelled, but get beat up a little bit in World Baseball Classic action. Like Sandy Alcantara has gotten beat up, Cal Quantrill has gotten beat up. We'll talk about Jose Barrios. I got a I got a text on Barrios. Well, we'll get to it in a sec here, but that Scarrow did what he did in a crucial game against Colombia to let Canada control their own destiny. I think was was an absolutely great point by Eddie. Um, I definitely want to see that whenever you're seeing the WBC. It's funny, too. The WBC is kind of like, I feel like I, I personally have bought in a little more. I feel like in years past, I've kind of like, eh, it's kind of like a whatever type of type of result when you look at it on the on the whole. But maybe it's because more more uh, MLB players are buying in. It certainly feels like buying is higher this particular year. So I am um, I am more into it. Um, Eddie also talked about Otto Lopez. And he was phenomenal today at the World Baseball Classic. Like, now you guys know grain of salt and all that here during spring training. And I'd say it's kind of the same thing during the WBC. But Otto Lopez specifically is a guy we're looking at because of his status as the most likely player. I guess I'll call it on the Jays periphery who could grab that final active roster spot. And today against Columbia, if you haven't heard it, I want to play some of the calls for you. Like in a game they needed to win, again, in order to control their own destiny, he had a pair of very important plays to help Canada to a 5-0 win. And, and here they are if you haven't heard them. 
Lopez lines it in the gap right center and he can run. Ramirez up with it. On his way to third. Otto Lopez. Not showing bunt. Drive to left. That ball's deep. That ball's gone. Three run shots. Oh Canada. Five nothing. I love the uh, the, the O Canada call. I feel like for every Canadian competition, whenever Canada does anything significant, you'll probably get an Oh Canada for anything. So you know what? I hope we get. I honestly, for that reason alone, I hope we get a win for Canada over Mexico. Just so in the quarters, you can hear, like, see like Tyler O'Neill hit a massive home run and hear someone yell Oh Canada. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But uh, that's that's Rich Waltz on the call. Buck Martinez obviously there as well uh, with the WBC World Feed. On the triple, which was the first play, Lopez flew around those bases. Owen Casey then cashes in the run with a solid RBI single immediately afterwards. Cubs fans, I think, should definitely be excited about him as well. I think he's only 20 years old, which is pretty crazy. So uh, good for Casey for cashing in that run. But after the triple gets cashed, uh, later in the game, Lopez crushes the three-run bomb for some needed insurance. I think as far as the Blue Jays go, he he just looks like the most major league-ready guy of the guys in the periphery. Like it's gotta be for me, it's gotta be Nathan Lucas or him at this point. Right? Like, I don't think it's a huge lead for Lopez to be clear, but I do think he enjoys the advantage right now. It probably does help that he is getting regular playing time with team Canada versus Nathan Lucas that gets subbed in late in games, or maybe he's starting games on rest days for other guys out there in the outfield. But Hey, here's hoping he helps them advance to the quarters with the, for the first time ever on Wednesday with the win over Mexico, because he has been playing very, very well. And, and as, as Eddie mentioned, there will likely be no Freddie Freeman, as far as I'm aware, unless things have changed in the last couple of hours. Seems pretty likely that Freddie Freeman is not going to play. I know Ernie Witt did say after the game that he was, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a situation that any player would have been taken out of, but I can only imagine, like, you know, I can only think that Dodgers doctors were like immediately on the phone and be like, get him out of there, get him, get him off the field, right? Um, before we take a quick break, I, uh, I wanted to get to one of the texts here. I see a text here from James in North York, and this is what I was alluding to before about the WBC. Are you worried about Jose Barrios after his performance at the WBC uh, show? You've said a lot that you're not worried about him. Has that changed? And I think that's a totally valid question because I have largely said, I believe, in the Jose Barrios we've seen over the majority of his career versus the Barrios we saw essentially for all last year. So on Sunday, if you missed this, on Sunday for Puerto Rico, he got crushed. There's no doubt, right? Like the final line for Barrios on Sunday, one inning, five hits, four runs, all of them earned. Uh, he walked two guys. Anthony Santander continues to uh, terrorize the Blue Jays no matter where he goes, right? He hits a three-run bomb for Venezuela. Salvador Perez hits an RBI single, which accounts for the four runs. Like, I know it sounds... Like I'm being a Barrios apologist, but we, we do have to remember at the WBC, I know this sounds like I'm making a huge, huge excuse, right? But guys are still working back into being built back up, which is almost why I think the Skiro thing is so remarkable considering he like essentially did whatever he wanted. It felt like got out of some jams as well. Uh, but there is that to account for. Barrios did not have some great luck with the balls in play being handled by the Puerto Rican defense behind him. And then as well, like this is the team that, that got to him, right? Venezuela, truly ridiculous team. Jose Altuve, Luis Arise, Ronald Acuna Jr., Salvador Perez, Santander, we mentioned, Andres Jimenez, who I'm pretty sure was an all-star last year, Miguel Cabrera, David Peralta, and Eduardo Escobar. Like that is basically an all-star team. 
Like we talked about the Dominican Republic. That's, an, that's another stacked team. So it's not that I'm not concerned. It's more that if this is happening in the regular MLB season, I would be more concerned. But still, here we are. It's March 14th today. That was a couple days ago. Uh, working back into game day shape, especially pitchers. Like Ben and Caleb talked about this during the broadcast. Like the idea of a dead arm, quote unquote, period of the spring period for pitchers as they kind of get back into game shape. That's essentially where we are in regular spring training. So at the World Baseball Classic, you know these guys have limits. Like Cal Quantrill, remember he got lifted against Great Britain. He was terrible. Like he could not could not find the strike zone. And he got lifted. Uh, I want to say maybe like there was, I think he had thrown 36 or 37 pitches and there's like a 45 pitch pool limit, I think for him and pro- likely imposed by the Guardians. So it was, it was interesting to see that because I'm sure that's the case for basically every pitcher at this point in the season I still think, you know, they're not going to step on the gas as they would in the regular season at the World Baseball Classic. The pitches still do, do still have some movement on them. I do also believe that if back against uh, Venezuela on Sunday, if the Blue Jays were behind him instead of the Puerto Rican defense, I do believe he'd, he'd have at least escaped the first inning, maybe relatively speaking, unscathed. And like I said, the Quantrill stuff, uh, even Sandy Alcantara, who literally won the NL Cy Young Award last year, and he's a workhorse. Both guys got crushed in a start. So I'm, I'm not going to make any, any declarative statements um, right now. So, so James, to answer your question, I, I am not that concerned, but it is something worth monitoring as we get closer to the season start date at the end of March. Um, let's take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll go back to the phone lines, back to the text line. Again, 590-590, name and locations where you can reach us. You're listening to Jay's Talk, Show Alley with you for a couple more minutes on Sportsnet.ca, the Sportsnet app, and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to Jay's Talk, Trust Sportsnet Radio Network, also streaming on sportsnet.ca and the Sportsnet app. Show Ali with you for a couple more minutes. We're here until the bottom of the hour, wrapping up a 10-3 Blue Jays loss to the Yankees in Tampa. You can give me a call. You can give me a text. 590-590 is the text line. Uh, I see another text here from Adrian and Scarborough, and this is a Dalton Varsho question. Will he see any playing time at catcher this year? This one's a pretty easy one. I had actually asked this question a while ago myself. I forget if I had asked it to BNS, Ben Nicholson Smith or Arden Swelling. It's one of those guys. But one of them said, uh, based on convos they had had with the Blue Jays themselves, uh, that they don't see Varsho playing anything further than emergency catcher. It's going to be all outfield effectively all the time for Varsho, which, I mean, frankly, that's what he should be doing. Right. Like you don't want the guy to be to be kind of minding himself with the catcher duties as well, given that, you know, all the the toll it takes on your body. I remember when Pat Borders was on the the broadcast with Ben, I think it was last week, and he talked about the toll it takes, like fingernails falling off and getting hit all the time in different places. Like, I don't know if you want one of your big time off season free agent acquisitions after probably already having told them that he's not going to be doing much catching if any catching to suddenly have to do that in season so like I again I think that's the good a good thing I actually think we're at the point now where if let's say one of Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk were to get injured we would probably more likely see Rob Brantley get called up for a cup of coffee instead of them moving Varsho to the catching position like maybe if both catchers got injured in a single game then you'd see Varsho suit up behind the dish but I'd be really surprised if he even got like, you know, five starts or even emergency in-game fill-ins at the catcher position. Like, what I'm saying is don't rely on Dalton Varsho to be your dynasty fantasy catcher, okay? He won't be eligible next year. 
That's what I'm saying. He'll only be in outfield by the time we get uh, to 2024. I, I actually do think people are going to be very excited about the outfield this year. I know the team has lost a slight bit of power with the trade of, of Teoscar Hernandez, but the addition of Dalton Varsha is a great one. And the move to the corner outfield spot for George Springer, I think will also be key. It's, it's certainly a less demanding spot uh, in a corner outfield role. And of course, Varsha is going to be in the other corner outfield spot. Kevin Kiermeyer for now is, is penciled in as the starting center fielder. Uh, but likely right field for Springer. I do wonder if it's fair to ask if George Springer should be performing better offensively if he's being asked to do less defensively, right? Like you're still obviously going to see some highlight real catches for him out there and right. It's a big part of his appeal. But if he had to do less physically, and if you're asking less physically of George Springer, who obviously we all know is going to have to deal with like managing different injuries over the course of his career for the rest of it. And Ben talked today that basically if you, if you look back all the injuries and all the times he fouls balls into his foot and so on, that he's probably in some kind of pain all season long. So maybe the expectations for his play at the plate will rise somewhat. Um, speaking of Springer, uh, Ben Wagner himself had a chance to catch up with both Springer and Kevin Kiermeyer. Let's hear what the outfield had to say about getting to know one another so far throughout spring training. I thought it was pretty interesting. So this is Ben with first Kevin Kiermeyer and then George Springer. What is the identity of a Kevin Kiermeyer, Dalton Varsho, George Springer outfield? First thing that comes to mind is a no-fly zone. You got three center fielders out there who can go get it, who can cut guys down with their arm. We got a great thing going right now. The communication, camaraderie we have has been great. Um, we want to go out there and be. I want to be the best defensive outfield in the big leagues. I want our pitchers. Everyone know when you play us, you gotta you gotta hit it where we're not. And it better not hang up in the air too long. Because I'm going to, I know we all, I know how our attitudes are. We're all competitive. They make me better. I like to think I make them better too. And we complement each other very nicely. And uh, I can talk about all I want, but uh, I can't wait to back it up during the season. Three guys in three different spots last year. How did you guys build chemistry? Just always, I mean, just knowing, knowing how each person is. And like I said, communication. We want to, we all want to make plays and, and uh, you, you get acclimated with guys over time, and that's what spring training's for. Me now meeting new guys and, and seeing what guys like, what they don't like, and how we communicate during the game. We're, we're ironing out them little baby steps right now, so come game one during the regular season, we don't need to have these combos anymore. What does a Dalton Varsha, George Springer, and Kevin Kiermeyer outfield identify as? A lot of squirreliness. <laughs> expand on it from a defensive standpoint and what it's going to look like for the fans out there uh you know hopefully an aggressive outfield that goes and gets it the fact that i mean you are one of the most exceptional leadoff guys in major league baseball history have you taken a moment to think about what you've accomplished so soon in your career oh, no 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 i have a lot to go still so i mean it's just one of those things where i have to do my job for us and I'll worry about all the other stuff after. Are you the same leadoff hitter that you were four or five years ago? Um, yes, I think there's just different variations. I think I'm a little bit more under control. You know, I have a little bit more idea of how to, you know, kind of navigate it a, a little bit more. But other than that, I'm the same person. The last couple of years, Blue Jay fans have gotten to know you. What are you most proud of in what you've been able to display for the fans of Toronto? Oh. Uh, I mean, I would, I would just say that every day I'm out there, I'm going to get give the fans, the country, 100%. And, you know, it's going to be days where it's not pretty. But, you know, I'm going to go out there as much as I can and, and, you know, play as hard as I can for, you know, not only 
these guys in, in the organization, but the whole country. That is George Springer, first, oh, well, second, talking to Ben Wagner, and first, Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, what he said, giving his all for the country, I think we have come to expect nothing less from old George. Uh, before we get out of here, I wanted to get to this athletic article by Tim Britton, who does great work. He has this free agent predictor for all sorts of guys, a massive spreadsheet, an algorithm, et cetera. It basically helps him predict, predict like, year, like, it predicts, Free agent contracts based on years and years and years of data, what a likely contract extension for different guys will look like. And one of the free agents he made a prediction for uh, was Matt Chapman, which I thought was interesting. There's a lot that goes into it, but he says, quote, valuing Chapman's free agent years at 23 million plus the 12 million he slated for this year could make a six year, $126 million deal work, which would effectively be $21 million a year. That's not a lot. Honestly, I actually think the dollar number is something that Jays would be okay with the amount of years Less so. I can maybe see a four-year, 22 or $23 million deal being a slightly higher amount as more likely than a six-year deal for a smaller per-year average. I could also see what they did with Kikuchi being the case here as well. Like, you front-load the deal slightly so that cash-wise you make less further down you go, but the Jays clearly have no problem front-loading things. But the main question about all of it is, do you want to pay a defense-first third baseman over $100 million, right? Like, when you can, in theory, make one of Aralvis Martinez or Addison Barger, your third baseman for effectively, I don't know, like $99.5 million less, right? Especially with massive deals for Vladdy Jr., Bichette, Manoa coming up in the not-too-distant future. I'm not saying you let him walk just because of that, but if the ass is six years and a lot of money to boot, you might want to let uh, another team take that risk. It's kind of like the Brandon Nimmo deal. Remember that one? I mean, in the sense we saw the dollars and the years, and you thought, boy, there's no way anyone should pay that, even Steve Cohen and the Mets, and here we are. So while Chapman has less of the injury history than Nimmo does. I think Chapman, who will be about 30 in about five to six weeks, is uh, not someone you want to pay $120 million until he uh, turns 36. Uh, That does it for Blue Jays talk here across the network. Uh, All radio games basically coming up until the end of spring training. I think just one TV simulcast, which is pretty exciting. Thanks for listening to Blue Jays Baseball, presented by Crown Rest Protection. More Jays Baseball tomorrow, everyone. Sleep well. We'll talk to you later.